Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Planning for Retirement podcast, where we help educate you on how retirement works. This is episode 26, Seven Reasons to Own Permanent Life Insurance in Retirement. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Kevin Lau. I'm your host. I'm also a retirement-focused financial planner, have been for 15 years, and have a passion for education, which is what this podcast is all about. Our mission is to educate you to increase clarity and confidence to achieve financial security. I'm also the owner of Imagine Financial Security, which is an independent financial planning and investment management firm based in Florida. However, this information is for educational purposes only and should not be used as investment, legal, or tax advice. We are not your financial planner, unless, of course, you're one of our clients and we are your financial planner. But we're still speaking in generalities here, so consider your own unique circumstances before taking any action. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So last time I talked about doing an episode on the number one reason for DIY clients hiring us today, but I didn't realize it was Life Insurance Awareness Month. So I decided to do a two-part series for the month of September, uh, this being part one, of course, and this is going to be conceptual. So conceptually, why should you own permanent life insurance throughout retirement? And what that means is why should you own permanent life insurance before you retire and then potentially keep it throughout retirement or you buy permanent life insurance in retirement? Why would you do this? Even if you're financially independent, you don't need life insurance. You may have one or more of these reasons that I'm going to give you today. There are seven of them. Um, So that's going to be part one. That's this episode. Part two is going to be discussing the actual permanent life insurance products out there, what to look for, what to avoid. So stay tuned and make sure to follow our show so you don't miss that one. Also, make sure to follow me on Facebook or Instagram. My Facebook handle is Kevin Lau CFP. And on Instagram, it's Imagine Financial Security, at Imagine Financial Security. So make sure to follow us there. Speaking of followers, I just wanted to uh, thank all of you. A lot of you are new listeners to the show. Uh, It's definitely been pretty cool to hear really nice messages that I've been receiving this past week. I'm going to read some of these to you. Okay, here's one. I'm starting to become addicted to Kevin's podcast. (laughs) I love that one. Number two, quote, I am learning so much from your podcast. In fact, I will probably need to listen to several of them multiple times in order to absorb everything, end quote. Here's another quote. Kevin, I love your podcast. I listen to all of them. Very informative. Thank you, end quote. I mean, super cool. Uh, I I appreciate the kind words, and it's okay that one of those was my mother-in-law, right? But that's what it's all about. Educate and empower. I don't care if you're family, friends. People that I've never met in my life that are listening to the show, we're trying to educate you and empower you to have the knowledge to achieve financial independence, financial security and retirement. That's what this is all about. So, all right. So today, why don't we jump in? Um, Let's educate you on permanent life insurance. Probably gets a bad rap. A lot of you are probably listening to this like, why am I even listening to this? This is a terrible episode. I don't want to own permanent life insurance in retirement. Well, I am here to potentially change your mind because you might fall under one of these categories that I'm going to talk about today, or one of these objectives, I might say, might resonate with you. Okay, maybe that's a better way to put it. But you've probably heard the sales pitch before. You know, this is a savings vehicle or tax-free savings tool. For those of you that don't know my background, I started my career for my first six years working for one of the big four mutual life insurance companies. I'm not going to name names, but I worked for one of the big four, and it was a phenomenal experience. I'm not going to badmouth the company. 
Okay, the company has great products. They have a great sales force. They have great advisors that work for that insurance company. But we've all heard the horror stories of someone pitching life insurance, permanent life insurance, as this be-all, end-all retirement savings vehicle when that is really not what it is. It is life insurance. Okay, number one, it is life insurance. Okay, so I worked six years at the at that firm. I was able to learn how these products work and then potentially how they could fit into an overall financial plan. Okay, but then also more importantly, appreciate where it does not fit. So this is what this episode is all about is to give you as much education on this as I can. Okay, I don't sell life insurance anymore. My practice, we are considered fee only. And for those of you that don't really care what that is, basically, we don't, we don't have our insurance license anymore. We don't get compensated from selling life insurance products, but we absolutely talk about permanent life insurance and life insurance in general during our planning process because, because it is a very important tool in the context of an overall financial plan. So why don't we dive in here? All right, the number one reason here to own permanent life insurance in retirement is to pay estate taxes or Maybe not you pay estate taxes because you'll be gone, but your beneficiaries to pay estate taxes. What do I mean by this? So when you pass away, there is an exemption where if your estate is under the value of your estate, all of your assets, your home, your rental properties, your bank accounts, your retirement accounts, okay, even life insurance, death benefits could be included. All of these are added up to figure out what is the value of your estate when you pass away, and there is a federal exemption. So if you are under this federal exemption, there are no federal estate taxes due. In 2023, the exemption is $12,920,000. Not too long ago, I mean 20-ish years ago, the exemption was $1 million. Now, partly the reason it's so high is because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act better known as the Trump tax cuts, 2017, made the exemption double from what it was at that point, closer to $6 million per person. So if you're married, double this. So 12.9 million, if you're married, that's close to, you do the math, 25 million plus that you can essentially leave to your beneficiaries without them having to trigger estate taxes, which, which can be upwards of 40% in excess of that exemption. So let's say someone's estate is worth $30 million at their death, and they leave their assets to their beneficiaries. Well, the exemption in 2023 is $12.9 million, so they are roughly $17 million over the exemption. Their beneficiaries will have a tax bill probably in excess of $5 million. So that's a problem because a lot of times these estates, part of what's valued in there are e-liquid investments that are very valuable, closely held businesses, real estate, whether it be multifamily or commercial real estate. You don't want to just go out there and do a fire sale of these closely held assets. Okay, Even stocks or mutual funds or ETFs that are extremely valuable, you may want to hold on to these for the long term. So how do you pay those estate taxes or how do your beneficiaries pay those estate taxes? Well, life insurance is a pretty good way to do that. In fact, it's probably the most efficient way to do this because the life insurance death benefit will be paid to your beneficiaries, income tax-free, which is cash. They don't need to liquidate anything, sell anything, cash infusion into the bank account of the estate, and that bank account can be used to pay the federal estate taxes. 
There also could be state estate taxes. Certain states have state estate taxes. So you have to look at the federal exemption and your state exemption. That's a big reason why people move to Florida. Is Florida, we don't have a state estate tax. Okay, so you just have to worry about the federal estate tax level. Let me tell you a story. I have stories personally, but they're not as cool as this one. This one is kind of near and dear to my heart because it's about the Washington Redskins, which is one of the greatest sports franchises in history, American history, that basically was run into the ground by Dan Snyder. The reason Dan Snyder owned the team was because an estate planning fail by Jack Kent Cook, the owner of the Washington Redskins, my beloved Washington Redskins. When he died in 1996, 1997, I can't remember the exact year, but I think Dan Snyder took over the team in 1997. Here's what happened. Jack Ken Cook, legend, real estate tycoon. Okay, He was the owner of the Chrysler Building in Manhattan. He purchased the Washington Redskins and turned a franchise that was pretty decent and won three Super Bowls. The new stadium that was built in Landover, Maryland, was named after Jack Ken Cook. Okay, it was then renamed FedEx Field. But my point is Jack Ken Cook was a legend, and but he messed up his estate plan. His advisors totally screwed this thing up. So here's what happened. When he died, the net worth of his estate was roughly $750 million. So this is a large estate. Someone who is significantly over the federal estate tax exemption. And he decided to use a will as his primary form of estate planning documents instead of a revocable living trust, okay, which should have been a no-brainer for someone with his wealth. But he decided to use wills. In fact, he changed his will like six or seven times. He had like seven different executors of his estate, different people that were in charge of doing different things. Something was going on, obviously, at the end, because when he passed away, 13 weeks before he passed away, he changed his will and basically took his, four, he, had a, he was married four times. He removed his fourth wife from his estate completely. Basically, his attorney said that she did not sign a prenuptial agreement, which was part of their marital conversations, uh, someone with that amount of wealth, not uncommon to have a prenuptial agreement, but apparently she something happened that they didn't agree with and he reneged her from his estate completely. Well, this doesn't really matter for this story, but essentially she came after the estate and basically won and um, she was awarded a nice sum. I think I read somewhere around $10 million that she was awarded. But here's, here's what happened. Before Jack Ken Cook passed away, his son, John, was running the Washington Redskins football operations. He was kind of the face of the franchise when Jack Ken Cook became elderly. And John Ken Cook was expected to take over the franchise. But what happened was the estate plan was for the Chrysler building to be liquidated upon Jack Ken Cook's death. And that building would be used to pay the estate taxes due. And therefore, John Ken Cook can come in, not only pay the estate taxes, but also purchase the Washington Redskins from his father. Because there was some clause that went into his ownership of the Redskins is that on, upon his death, a buyout needs to happen. Well, the unfortunate part was later on in life, I believe he lived until 87. 
Well, later in life, the Chrysler building began to deteriorate and it needed repairs, renovations, and that wasn't happening. Basically, the value of the Chrysler building was less than what they owed on the Chrysler building. So selling the Chrysler building upon Jack Ken Cook's passing was not going to provide the liquidity for John to buy out his father, Washington Redskins ownership, as well as pay the estate taxes due. Not good timing to pass away. So upon Jack Ken Cook's death, the Chrysler building wasn't a tool that they could use to liquidate to pay the estate taxes. So what had to happen based on his will, he did not have a trust based on his will, he needed to sell, they needed to sell the Washington Redskins in order to raise cash to pay the federal estate taxes due because he was worth three quarters of a billion dollars. This is catastrophic because if he had life insurance, if he had a life insurance trust, an islet, irrevocable life insurance trust that essentially you open when you're alive, you create when you're alive and you say, I'm going to use a life insurance policy to pay into this irrevocable life insurance trust, which is then going to pay the estate taxes. Well, he didn't have this sort of trust. And I don't know what conversations that were had with his attorney. I don't know if he was insurable or not. Okay, but this estate plan was obviously destined to fail. And so what ended up happening is that John Ken Cook had to go to auction. They had to open up the bidding for the Washington Redskins, my beloved Washington Redskins. And Dan Snyder ends up coming in, swooping in, and he outbids John Ken Cook and his team. Now, interesting timing. We're talking about this because Dan Snyder just sold the team. Thanks for listening to my ramble on the Washington Redskins or now the Washington Commanders. But one other thing, just because you're not over the federal exemption today, which like we said in 2023 is $12.9 million and some change, doesn't mean you're not going to be over the exemption when you pass away. That could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years plus from now. I mentioned the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017. Well, what's important to note is that that law is going to sunset at the end of 2025. So in 2026, the estate exemption at the federal level will revert back to the pre-Tax Cuts and Jobs Act level, which at the time was $5.5 million per person. There's uncertainty in Washington, surprise, surprise, in terms of what they're going to do. $5.5 million right now adjusted for inflation is probably just north of, let's say, $6.5, perhaps $7 million per person. That is significantly lower than $12.9 million per person. But that's reason number one is you may have estate taxes, okay? Number two is perhaps you have a special needs child or beneficiary, and you perhaps do not want to jeopardize their ability to receive federal entitlements, okay, from Social Security by receiving assets, whether it be a retirement account or investments, because any assets that are owned in their name could potentially disqualify them from receiving those federal entitlements. So oftentimes, if you have a special needs child or beneficiary, you may consider with your attorney setting up a special needs trust in a very clean way to fund that trust, very similar to the life insurance trust 
irrevocable life insurance trust for estate taxes is life insurance for the special needs trust. Okay, so nothing is put into the special needs trust up front. You're taking care of your child or grandchild or beneficiary, your special needs beneficiary during your lifetime. And then upon your passing, the death benefit is placed in to the special needs trust, which can then spin off income to support that beneficiary for a period of time or for a lifetime. And that way, this does not impact their ability to receive those federal entitlements. So special needs trust. Number three, your goal, whether it be a primary goal or a secondary goal, is to leave a certain dollar amount to beneficiaries, children or grandchildren, or it's potentially to leave a legacy floor. Hey, I do not want my assets upon my death to be below X amount. So you might consider buying permanent life insurance to solve for that X amount floor, which then could give you the freedom to spend down your own retirement assets for your own retirement. One of the biggest challenges that I see for retirees that have been in the saving mode, accumulation mode for 25, 35 years, maybe longer, maybe 45 years, it is very difficult for them to flip the switch to spend down their assets, spend down their retirement assets. Why is this? Well, in having conversations with retirees for the last 15 years, I believe part of it is the thinking that they don't want to die with zero. I know that book is becoming very popular. It's becoming very mainstream. It's called Die With Zero. (laughs) But I talk to a lot of folks that are in retirement. That is not their goal. They don't want to die with zero. They want to leave a certain amount to their children or their grandchildren because they worked hard to accumulate these assets. They don't want them squandered, whether it be by paying estate taxes or unnecessary income taxes during the retirement or an ungrateful child spending down the inheritance quickly. They don't they want to preserve their legacy. Well life insurance can be a great way to do that because regardless of what the stock market does, okay, or regardless of whether you need more income than you thought you did in retirement and therefore you're spending down your own retirement assets faster than you thought you would, which is okay. Enjoy your retirement income. Okay. You can't take it with you. But if you have a goal of leaving a certain amount to the next generation, whether it be your kids or your grandkids, you may consider owning a permanent life insurance to serve as a legacy floor. What I found is that people that have this objective and they have life insurance to serve as that legacy floor is they are much more convicted on spending down their retirement income on on themselves, taking that extra trip per year spending money on their health, spending money on their mental health, gifting during lifetime, whether it be charitable or gifting to grandchildren, helping with education funding. It's nice to have that legacy floor taken care of so you can more freely spend down or gift during your lifetime and actually see your beneficiaries benefit from your assets and your hard work and what you've accumulated. So just something to think about. All right. So we've talked about estate taxes. We've talked about special needs planning. We've also talked about the legacy floor goal. Well, number four, I'm going to throw this in there. Blended families, children from previous marriages. Ha, we could probably do an entire episode on this one. And uh, for those of you that that know me well, I serve blended families. I have a passion for serving blended families, uh, particularly those that have children that are adult children from previous marriages. I don't know if it's because I grew up in a blended family, 
my mom had a daughter before she married my dad. So I have a half sister. And the dynamics of growing up in a blended family is just, it resonates with me. My wife also grew up in a blended family. And, you know, just these challenges that are unique to those who have been remarried and have children from maybe their current marriage and a previous marriage. There are complexities involved. One of those complexities is how do you divide your assets in a blended family? I wrote about this on my blog. I dedicated an entire blog post to this topic because of how popular this this question is. But how do you do this? Do you leave your current children and stepchildren? Do you leave them equal shares of your assets? Are you obligated to leave an inheritance for your new spouse's children? These are personal questions and to each their own, as you would say. But if you're a blended family, one way to solve for these differing legacy goals is to own permanent life insurance. Because if you own permanent life insurance, you could say, I want X amount of the death benefit to go to this beneficiary. I want X amount of the death benefit to go to that beneficiary. And you don't have to worry about, well, whatever's left over my 401k or brokerage account, because you have those legacy goals solved for already with permanent life insurance. So just saying, blended families, major considerations for life insurance products and long-term care insurance, by the way. All right, number five, replacing income. I mean, listen, if you're married and you and your spouse are both collecting Social Security, when one of you passes away, one of those Social Security benefits is going away. The surviving spouse can take over the higher benefit, whether it be their own or their spouse's, but then the other benefit goes away. What about a pension? Is there a survivor benefit on that pension? Or is it a certain percentage? Therefore, income could go down. What about taxes potentially going up for a widow or widower? This could all result in reduced cash flows, which could essentially drive home the potential need to own permanent life insurance to pass on to your spouse to replace that lost income. Let's say you elected to not have that survivor benefit on your military pension. Let's say your Social Security benefits are equal and therefore your spouse is going to lose 50% of the current Social Security income. These are reasons that you potentially may want to own some permanent life insurance to replace that income and to provide it liquidity to supplement that, those other income streams that, that were lost. All right, number six, replenish assets in the event of a long-term care event. So we talked about long-term care planning already last series, and we had an episode about self-funding. And I don't even know if I mentioned this, but life insurance could be a great way to self-fund for long-term care. What do I mean by this? Well, if you have a permanent life insurance policy, you and your spouse both have a permanent life insurance policy, and one of you needs care, you could tap into the cash value to pay for care, or you could tap into your other assets to pay for care, and then upon your death, the life insurance death benefit could then be paid to your beneficiary, to your spouse to replenish those assets that were lost from spending on long-term care. One quick aside about the life insurance is that there are now policies, permanent life insurance policies, index universal policies, universal life insurance policies that are now hybrid life and long-term care. So now, instead of just tapping into the cash value to pay for care, like I just mentioned, you can also potentially use a long-term care rider on a life insurance policy and now have an accelerated long-term care benefit that you can tap into on a monthly basis. So 
I'll talk more about those policies briefly in the next episode, so make sure to tune into that one. And then last but not least, to serve as an alternative asset class. Now, this one is pretty controversial. I would say that the majority of fee-only financial planners are not believers in permanent life insurance, especially as a savings vehicle. Um, And I would say folks that are selling life insurance probably oversell the cash value on permanent life insurance. But here's what I will tell you. A traditional whole life policy that's been in force for a number of years, let's say more than a decade, that is with, let's say, a reputable company, one of the big mutuals, Mass Mutual, New York Life, Guardian, Northwestern Mutual. These policies could be a very viable fixed income alternative. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, instead of having a million dollars in bonds or $300,000 in bonds in your portfolio, let's say you have 150000 or $250,000 in cash value in a permanent life insurance policy. That's a fixed rate. It's never going to go down with market volatility. If interest rates go up, that doesn't matter. It's not going to impact the value of the cash value. Whereas an individual bond or bond mutual funds, the price will go down in the event interest rates go up or will go up in the event interest rates go down. But permanent life insurance will continue to clip away at whatever interest rate, minus expenses, of course, is credited to the policy. Why is this important? Well, in a market like a 2022 where bonds were down 15%, pretty nice to have a permanent life insurance policy cash value in your back pocket just in case. What if you need to make a large withdrawal? What if you had a large health expense, right? Or there was an emergency that popped up with a family member and you needed liquidity. Maybe you don't want to sell your bonds or your stocks when they're down in value by 15, 20, 25%. Well, your cash value in your life insurance could serve as that fixed income alternative and you can borrow from that cash value without having to worry about touching your other assets. Okay, so this alternative asset class is really powerful. If you start the policy right, if you design it right, and if you fund it properly, It could be a great tool. The next part in the series, we're going to talk about the different policies out there. There is traditional whole life insurance. There's universal life insurance. There's variable universal life insurance. There's index universal life insurance. There's guaranteed universal life. And we're going to talk about those different products. We're going to talk about where they fit. Okay, so if one of these concepts, one of these resonates with you, right? Maybe you are over the estate tax exemption. Maybe you do have a special needs beneficiary. Perhaps you do have a goal of a legacy floor or a blended family. You want to replace income for your spouse or replenish your assets if you have a long-term care event. Or you like the idea of using it as an alternative asset class. Well, now you need to figure out what kind of permanent life insurance policy you're going to buy. And that's what next episode is going to be dedicated for. So make sure you tune in. Make sure to follow the show. Wherever you're consuming your podcast, hit that follow button. And also I will say, We have thousands of downloads, but only 10 reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's not acceptable. If you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you leave that five-star review. We really appreciate you. Well, that's it for today, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And like we talked about in the beginning, I'd love to hear from listeners. Feel free to send me an email, kevin at imaginefinancialsecurity.com. That's Kevin at imaginefinancialsecurity.com. You can send me questions. You can send me comments. 
You can even send me some topic requests. That's what I've been getting recently is, hey, talk about this. Is there an episode about this? That's been awesome. And love to hear from you and keep them coming. Until next time, this is Kevin Lau signing off.